Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Hello, all. I'm Ruth. And I'm Nick. And welcome to our podcast, Universal Appeal. We've each chosen our 10 favourite episodes of Doctor Who, covering every Doctor since the revival. Each week we watch one of those episodes and share our thoughts and opinions on it. We also look through the Doctor Who news of the week and speculate wildly over what is coming up in the universe. This week is Ruth's first pick and the first episode of New Who Altogether, Rose. But before that, the news. And as always, from this point out, spoilers for everything and anything Doctor Who. Yeah, so what news do we have this week? So, um, I've kind of taken them from the last couple of weeks, because obviously, you know, first episode and all. So there's been some really exciting casting announcements Okay. for the upcoming series. Is it, are we on 14? I think it's 14. No, it must be... <laughs> I'm going to look it up. So, yeah, so Power of the Doctor is the end of the 13th series with the 13th Doctor. So series 14, we've got some casting announcements. <laughs> So they've announced the wonderful, the Broadway superstar, Jonathan Croft, will be in the next series as an undisclosed character. Ooh, so Jonathan Groff was in, he, you may know him from Glee. Okay. You may know him from being friends with Leah Michelle, whether you like that or not. I don't even know who that is. She was in Glee as well, but she's very controversial. Okay. And you may also know him from being King George in Hamilton. Okay. I did see this. Yes, I did see this, and I thought, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he they have not disclosed who he is playing, but they have released a picture of him, the Doctor and Ruby, and they are all, including the Doctor, in what appears to me to be sort of Regency outfits. They've cast him as a Regency George III. He's playing George III in Hamilton. He's famous for being George III, and they've put him in George III's time. They have, so... It's very interesting. So there's lots of mutterings and rumours about who he could be. I'm guessing that the that one of the theories, because anytime anybody's cast, one of the theories is the master. Yep, I mean everyone, everyone's always bringing that up. The master and the Rani. It's like I can see him as the master opposite Shooty, that kind of sort of song and dance man, showman. And that's sort of what Shooty is. I know Shooty's not a huge like Broadway or West End kind of star. But he's got that kind of energy. He does, he does, definitely. So casting a Broadway star opposite as the master, I can see that kind of working. I mean, one of the rogue theories I saw someone throw out, which I, I was surprised by, but also surprised that I wasn't against, is that he's Captain Jack. And people were suggesting that they could just keep recasting Captain Jack and not really mention it in the show. So you always keep him young because John Barrowman, apart from having become a bit controversial, is, you know, he must be... Late 50s, 60s now? It's getting on. Getting up there, isn't he? I don't hate that. So I was like, that? That's not, you know, because we already have the running joke of you've had work done. It's just occasionally recast. Don't really dwell on it too much. And he would fit the bill of, you know, uh, John Barrowman was also kind of, you know, a, a musical theatre background, song and dance man. Yeah. It's, it's casting another gay actor as Captain Jack. I don't hate the idea. I don't know if it could work like that 
in a series where you've got such a definitive reason for why the Doctor changes face. It's not like it's not like James Bond, where you have different actors playing the main mm. character, and so different actors can play anybody. Yeah, but you know, Jonathan Groff doesn't look miles away from two thousand and five John Barrowman in that he's just you know conventionally handsome. <laughs> The other rumours come from the fact that the emoji that Russell T. Davis posted in a comment under the announcement was, you know, the two the two hearts plus a potato. Okay. So the the, the theories that have come out, I've seen two good theories come out of this. I've seen it's going to be an episode with Sontarans. Makes sense. Potatoes. But also, um, there is a type of potato that is called a Mozart potato or something like that. And he's Mozart. Potentially. He's musical. Yeah. The right era. I mean, interestingly, it feels like there's quite a lot of musical themes coming out in a lot of the casting and things like that. For instance, um, Jinx Monsoon's costume, that's clearly a piano. We've had a fair few actors who we know are good singers, so I don't know. It'd be interesting. Perhaps there is a musical motif. Quite possibly. I like that, the idea of Mozart. Um, Another bit of casting news for you is, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Indira Varma... Um, who has been in the Hooniverse before as Susie in Tortured. Okay. um, And is a great actress. You might have seen her. I think she's in Luther and all sorts of things. She's one of those, oh yeah, I know her actors. How do you spell her name? Her name? Yeah. um, I-N-D-I-R-A-V-A-R-M-A. Oh, I do know her. Exactly. She's one of those, like, yeah. you're like, oh, I don't know who that is. And then you see a picture and you're like, oh, yeah, I know her. She's yeah. all sorts. Indira um, has been cast as the Duchess. The Duchess. That sounds like Time Lordy, doesn't it? The Duchess. It does. So very interesting. Again, I think that will be in the same episode as Jonathan Groff. So it'll be interesting to see. But something that I saw um, mentioned on twitter and i probably should have verified this but um perhaps i've just fallen for someone said it on the internet and i've fallen for it is that in hindi duchess is rani really and indira does have indian heritage her dad was indian okay so you know uh, we all get very excited but there's some credibility here but you know people are always looking for the rani and you know it's not spelt the same but it is sort of said the same Rani, Duchess. That could work. Ooh. That could work really well. And you know what? If it's a chosen name and it's a promise and all of this that we're going with, with like the Doctor and the Master, and we're going with the idea of like it then influences the universe for what you are trying to do. So the Doctor has become the word for Doctors Mm. after the Doctor, even though his name is is a promise to be a Doctor. If the Rani came about, there's no reason that wouldn't influence Indian or Hindi culture mm. and create Rani as a name for a duchess because that's the character of the Rani. I don't really know the Rani apart from the name. Oh, uh, okay. she's she's chaos. So uh, that's very exciting. Yeah. So they, those, are, those are the two big things that have come out. Do we know when in the series that is? Is that episode one? Um, I don't think it's episode one. I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, in that I, they might have announced it, but I haven't seen. And I haven't, or I haven't committed it to memory. 
No, because the running theory at the moment is that Shooty's going to be taking over in the Christmas special, right? Yes. Yeah. And there's been some filming yeah. pictures that have come out where it's very festive. They've dressed houses to look like Christmas, which they generally mm-hmm. only do for Christmas specials. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Those are two, yeah, those are two quite exciting bits of casting, though. Yeah. So th- those are the main bits of news. I- I'm really excited that they're doing this sort of. Um, guest star announcements as it's coming as well i think that's really cool because i think it keeps building excitement i've got a long time to fill for that excitement yeah like and they're having to rebuild excitement from the power of the fucking doctor exactly and it also stops things leaking if you kind of announce it with a bit of pizzazz it's quite exciting and i'm i'm loving because um it appears that shooty's changing costumes pretty much every episode that they're doing little photo shoots and releasing this so and you're not just having to look at grainy footage taken by a fan who's stalking production. You you, you get to yeah. see, you know, what they're up to, what they're wearing, you know, the different variations. They do like the going undercover kind of thing, the the period costume. I like it. I think it's a lot approach. of fun. I think it's going to be interesting because it seems like he has a lot less consistency. Um, but it, it does... Oh. I mean, every outfit I've seen has been like a ten, so I can't complain. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see. It also waters down a lot of my frustration with the first, you know, the brown suit hoodie thing that was released that was just so dull. Yeah, I, everything else I've that's probably the dullest one they've released. Cool. So uh, that that is the news. Oh, yeah, that is good, interesting news. So this week we're talking about Rose. It was it was your choice, yeah? Yeah, it was. It was. It's the first episode I remember watching. Well, <laughs> it's the first episode of, of New Who, so that is less surprising. It's definitely the first episode I ever watched. Yeah, I was definitely aware of Doctor Who like beforehand, and there were definitely VHS tapes in my house. So I'm not sure. I think I might have seen the odd episode before. But this is, I, I very, very vividly remember watching this. I remember being excited for it when the trailers were coming on. I remember talking to my parents about it and being like, I can't wait to see this show. And I also very clearly remember going up to my mum afterwards and telling her that I'm hooked. <laughs> so were you aware of the, the leak or anything like that beforehand? No, I was, I was nine. I was just excited for this cool looking show that I knew so my parents are like massive Doctor Who fans so I knew it was like a thing and I knew they were very excited and they were probably aware of it but yeah no I didn't know anything behind the scenes I was it was all new well I mean that, that seems a good place to start what do you know about the leak do you know have you, you know in in your reading since in your existence in the sphere of Doctor Who have you have you stumbled across news on this um I'm aware there was a leak but it feels like small fry in compared to leaks that have happened since, probably because, you know, it was a different era in terms of internet connectivity. Because, like, the first few episodes of Series 8 leaked, and they, like, properly leaked. That was really bad. Yes, that was that was a big proper leak. But, I mean, this was... This seems to have been kind of big news at the time. About three weeks before it came out, it, it got leaked onto the internet allegedly by somebody working at the Canadian Broadcasting Company, the CBC, um, who apparently got fired but has never been named. But it also seems, from some of the things that I've read, 
that it might have just been the BBC themselves leaking it as kind of viral marketing. Oh, nice, because that was less of a thing then, yeah. Well, I thought it was less of a thing, but the source that I've seen quoted on this is uh, is somebody named Asa Bailey, who is founder of the Viral Advertising Association. Interesting. I mean, they were definitely utilising the internet in a big way in this series, in a way that I kind of miss. Because when I was watching the episode, I remembered that Clive's website, who is Doctor Who, who or he was the Doctor, was real. And there was lots of websites. And you could go, oh, you spent hours doing this. You could go and click onto all of these things. And there were so many um, like dummy websites for all sorts of things. So after Clive dies in this episode, spoiler alert, <laughs> every week it would be updated by Mickey. So he would be updating things for all the episodes. And there was there was this, like this whole online world. It was really good. I remember, yeah. So they were definitely really utilising stuff like that. And they had very, very tiny disclaimers at the bottom sort of saying this isn't real. But they were only very tiny. So when I was nine, I was a bit like, is this real? Yeah, that was really the era of the BBC having a really active kind of kids website. It feels a lot more these days like it's just like news, weather, iPlayer. But... Back then, they definitely had, you know, they also had the kind of CBBC side of things and and, th- and a place where you could really just go and read about your shows. Yeah. That seems to not be there anymore. Well, I think things are more social media-y now, I think. I think back in the day, there wasn't social media that kids were getting involved in. There wasn't YouTube or anything like that. So you would just go on websites or forums for the things that you were interested in. Yeah, that's a really good point. But yeah, so this Asa Bailey, apparently... The BBC hired the Viral Advertising Association for a viral marketing strategy, and he had told them, quote, they should release things before their time to create a cool factor. Interesting. Yeah, so it may well have been leaked three weeks ahead by the BBC. One of the other pieces of evidence on this is that there's, apart from the music at the start and end and the missing next time on Doctor Who, there's no difference at all between the leaked version and the real version, including no watermarks that you would expect to see on a leak from some rando at the CBC. That's true. There's no internal use only or anything like that. It's just exactly the same. That is interesting. I suppose it would make sense as well, because, I mean, you might remember better, because you're you're a smidge older than me, (laughs) that Doctor Who wasn't... it, It had a bit of a bad, uncool rep, and I don't know that people were very convinced that this... Christopher Eccleston, who was like a serious actor, and Billy Piper, who was a pop star. And then this slightly lame sci-fi show was going to be good. So if you leaked it and people saw, oh, right, this is this is pretty good. You know, it might sort of start to change people's minds. I don't know what the rep was before it came back or whether were you aware of the show? I was aware of it. It was very much a, you know, the, the stories of people hiding behind their sofas or hiding behind their pillows was a thing. And it had always been a like a family show or as in a show that families watch together and that's how my parents remembered it but it was also renowned for its terrible special effects and and things i remember being aware of it mostly through things like comic relief and sort of spoofs of it Mm. but let's let's leap off that and talk about eccleston as the doctor because i mean this is this this episode is really not about him but it seems a good place to start Mm. what are your views of of the ninth doctor oh big fan big fan i'm very much in the don't skip nine camp i get very angry when people skip nine i think it's he's the perfect balance to the 
um, sometimes th- my big problem with Tennant is that he's too human sometimes. So I like the slightly grumpy, slightly alien elements of Eccleston. I do. Th- I think from the wider picture side, you need to see fresh off the the time war, wounded and broken and damaged Doctor that Eccleston was. Because mm, he's tough, but he's vulnerable. He is. Well, he's he's deep in the throes of PTSD. He's just used the moment, as we will come on to to find out later in the series, and just killed everybody you kind of see that in this episode with the it wasn't my fault i couldn't save your planet i couldn't save any of them thing yeah that's our first reference to the time war really yeah and i'm glad it goes straight in like this i didn't see any reference to bad wolf which i was a little bit surprised at sort of kind of coming back in and thinking i wonder when they start seeding that but uh i didn't catch any mention maybe it is but the i fought in the war i couldn't save your planet was a great move to to hint at that but The Doctor was also empathetic here and aware of what was going on around him, aware of the social uh, elements in a way that you just don't see with some of the later Doctors, particularly Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi. I don't know. I would say there are moments where he's massively oblivious, especially when it comes to Mickey. Yes, he's oblivious. Empathetic wasn't the right word, but can you imagine either smith or capaldi standing there and understanding that he was that they were being flirted with that's true he knew exactly what was going on at that point he was just having a bit of fun yeah he knew it and you don't see that later on there's another another couple of moments that sort of stood out a little bit like that the bringing champagne for a celebration he he understood the social sort of niceties of it and i quite liked that yeah yeah, I mean the episode's called Rose, and it really, it really just is about Rose. I, I thought that was a real strength of this episode that that even when the Doctor's introduced, it's from Rose's perspective. You you follow Rose. Everything is Rose's story, mm. and the Doctor just is this strange force of nature that just sort of pops in and out of her life for for a moment. Yeah, I think that's where the show's strongest when it's about the companions, not about the Doctor. I think that's what I want the show to be about, really. Yeah, I think you can definitely give too much away about the Doctor. You can stop him being that, or stop them, sorry, being that mysterious figure. Hurt, hurt, timeless child. Well, yes. But this episode really, really is about Rose. You have that, that kind of her waking up in the morning and then just her daily life, which has the only moment, I think, in this whole episode of an odd choice of music. What's the odd choice of music? So it's it's all about when she wakes up, she has breakfast, she goes to work, she get, has lunch, she goes back to work. It's all sort of thematically setting up the, she's a normal girl and it's a normal boring life and this is a thing that, you know, there's the shots of her face where she's just clearly a bit bored and just sort of counting down the time and isn't isn't quite happy with everything as it's supposed to be. And the music's there going ding, 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 and just kind of really, really funky and exciting and and mysterious and it's just a bit mm. but i suppose you need something to make your opening to your show a bit exciting you know there's people sitting down for the first time in however many years to watch this show that they think is already a bit crap yeah it's just uh, for, uh, and I, I think it only really stands out because the rest of the music the rest of the score throughout the entire episode is absolutely pitch perfect mm. It is incredible all the way through. It rises and falls with it. It adds so much tension when the tension's needed. It adds excitement when it's needed. It kind of really, really works. Which, but yeah, I think I think the score goes. But other than that, roses. You see that everyday life. You see that 
that kind of normal life that, the, that we all recognise right there. We don't need any words to see what's happening. Right up until she goes down and finds that... Um, is it Mr. Wilson? Yeah. Or Wilson. Oh, yeah, the... Chi- what? It's Wilson. Electrician guy. Yeah, the CEO, the Chief electrician, Electrical <laughs> Officer, which I thought was hilarious. I've got a note on my notes. is CEO in the basement. Wow. And then later on, she describes him as the electrician. I go, oh. But even then, it's like, that's like a very human little bit of extra set design. Because that's exactly, if I was the chief electrician, I'd definitely put up a little, you know, it's those little things that just add to this world and make it seem very real. Yeah, and I think the I think the feeling in the in the storeroom is it where there's the mannequins that become the autons. That that scene, that whole set, looks really good and really kind of lived in and messy in a way that you don't you certainly at the time didn't always see in television sets of the time. They sort of didn't have the time and the money to put it together. It's just it feels like no, and that's true, and that's something truth about all of the set design i think that was something that struck me as well thinking about recent episodes you know companions generally have very nice bedrooms and very nice houses whereas rose lives in a messy house that's a bit crap and kind of falling apart and she wakes up and she looks a right mess as we all do when we wake up it's all these things that are just real it's not overly aesthetic or anything like that it's all very it's how the world actually looks. Yeah, I don't don't disagree with that at all. And and their flat in particular just looks like well, it looks like any flat in London to the extent that it's the same set they use for Mickey's flat later in the episode. They just sort of move some things around, but you don't notice because it looks like a flat, any flat. Yeah, and yeah, she lives in a block, so a lot of own flats are going to look the same. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, I love Jackie Tyler. Yeah, I think she's she's a great addition. I'm glad she was. Not in it the whole time, but that gives her the ability to just be outrageous and ridiculous, and I love it. But she seems so real as well. I sort of, watching yes. it reflecting on the, you know, later series, I don't think you get as a, a fleshed out family member of a companion in the same way than you do. I think Jackie and Mickey and later Pete are kind of some of the best. They just seem very real. Like, she's just chaos. She's chaos in a way that's very familiar. But I I like particularly when she gets back from the explosion, just how quickly Rose's relationship is set up with Jackie and then with Mickey with the with the no, you need something stronger. Is there a match on? Kind of that's just a really solid bit of character work. Yeah. It just exactly shows what, you know, what her life is like and what what kind of boyfriend Mickey's like. Like he's worried. But football's on as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think he, he checks that she's okay and then goes football. But yeah, yeah. they're both there. And I think it comes from a good place with Mickey as well. Yes. He's not gone straight to the pub. He hasn't come after going to the pub. He's sort of gone, well, maybe I'll just see if she'll come down the pub. Yeah. And there is only five minutes left of the game. You know, he's, he's, he's prioritised her. I like Mickey. I really like Mickey as a character all the way through. I think he plays he plays his part perfectly. And I think in this episode, his part is to show the uh, the way that Rose is reacting compared to how a normal person would and sort of why the Doctor chooses her. Yeah. But I think we need to acknowledge that while we might like Mickey, 
Noel Clark is not Mickey, and let's separate that out because of some of the allegations floating out there yes. about Noel. We do not like Noel Clark. No, it all seems a bit believable, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's pretty. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you know, I and and time being what it is, I have a feeling this will come up relatively often. But yes, like Mickey doesn't mean like Noel Clark. So yeah, I do I do like the character of Mickey though. One of my notes here is Mickey is eaten by a wheelie bin that burps. I love that. That's exactly what Doctor Who should be. Yeah. Normal thing, turns dangerous, is humorous. Yeah. And the effects are a bit naff, but... It's nearly 20 years ago on TV. I mean, I remember watching a lot of this series and thinking, how did they do that? This is so magical. Because you've also got to remember, when we're watching it now, we're watching it on these massive... On, on, on good screens of good quality, whereas you know, my TV in 2005 was not that great. You didn't need good special effects for it to be pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, it was all SD and cathode ray tubes and, and what have you. So yeah, yeah, it really does. It really stand, stood up at the time. And I think, I think for what it is, stands up now. I think there is something about Doctor Who that allows a bit crap special effects to be charming and not to be a problem yeah. you know if i saw that in in some like you know big movies it would be a massive problem but it just isn't in doctor who yeah and the, the actors are taking it seriously which sort of helps you suspend disbelief yeah. yeah i think that's that's true the comedy as much as it is in this episode is placed in exactly the right places and it's not at the expense of the situation if some if something is funny it's because we find it funny not because the characters do the pizza moment from Mickey, where he's plastic and he's learning how to speak. Pa, 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 pizza. Yeah, that is funny. But nobody in there is going, oh, well, that's a stupid thing to say. You know, it's not diffused. It's not pointed at. Yeah, and he obviously, he looks so weird, plastic Mickey. Like, you, you're, you're wondering how did Ro- how is Rose not spotting this? But you just sort of roll with it. You say you say that. I listened to the commentary with, with RTD and the production team. And oh, yeah. he said... His sister says the same thing. She says, well, why didn't she realise he's plastic? And his answer is, why would you look at your boyfriend and think, well, he's plastic now, isn't he? Uh, uh, that is true. I'd probably do what's happened to your hairline. But, yeah. And and also, Rose is very distracted. She's not really paying that much attention to him. She's not really... She never really looks at him. Her head is elsewhere at this moment in time. Yeah, and it cuts to the scene in the restaurant where she is just talking and talking about... Well, actually, by that point, she's talking about what she's going to do with her job and stuff. But she is... She's had a day. This is the next day after watching the place she works explode. Well, actually, it might not be the next day. It could be longer, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, because they sort of say she's been emailing Clive for a little bit, which is just a little bit of time. And, you know, you get the idea that she's she has to email at Mickey's place because she, she comes around and asks to use the computer, which is... There was lots of things that I was like... This kind of dates this, is that she had to go around her boyfriend's to Google something because she didn't have a computer. Was Google a thing in 2005? I don't even remember. Google must have existed, but it was was the time of, you know, Yahoo and Lycos and stuff as well. And I swear she searches Doctor... Like this girl also clearly does not know how you're meant to, how 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 search engines work. Hey, it, it finds Clive. The internet wasn't as big back then. That's true. That's very true. But yeah, it is. It is. Some of it is very, very two thousand and five. But back in the in the restaurant, I spotted Rose is the one that rings the fire alarm, and she shouts like everybody get out. She takes action once Mickey turns into the attacking monster. And there's just there's a few moments through there where she stands up and is the equal to the doctor. She sort of proves her 
her place on the TARDIS. I love it. Yeah. I love those little bits. And nobody stops and points at it and goes, you rang the fire alarm. That was very clever. You know, I think you needed to earlier on with the why why students? Why do you think it's students? Yeah. But that's sort of the doctor sort of going, huh. Yeah, that's very clever. No, they're not students. She is smart. And she talks about how she didn't get A-levels, but not because she couldn't, because she followed a boy. And she's got sort of smarts and street smarts and is a curious person. She walked straight into the dark when she heard noises and she confronted the Autons when she thought they were people in suits. She's got a little bit of something about her that that sets her apart. And that's, again, shown by things like Mickey grabbing onto her leg and and holding on when (laughs) they're in in facing the nesting consciousness and going running out of the TARDIS when she's in there for the second time and is now just used to it. Yeah, she takes it all in her stride. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I find interesting as well is when she gets home after the shop's gone up, she really, she doesn't tell anyone what she saw or what happened. She doesn't talk about it at all. Not to her mum, not to Mickey. If she was told, if she did then people would die. So she doesn't. She actually uses that as a threat later on. Yeah, but when I was 19, if I'd gone through that, I would have gone home and I would have probably told my mum. Yeah. Or my sister or some... I, w- I, I wouldn't have kept that entirely quiet. That sort of like, oh no, nothing happened. All of that. Like, that sort of... She believes it. She believes that it's dangerous. And all, but also she doesn't want to talk, tell them. I But I, I see that as an active... I'm not telling them because I don't want to get them hurt. I shall shoulder this burden myself. Mm. But yeah, the, later on when she uses it on that fantastic walk and talk that apparently wasn't in the script. It was added later because they needed some more time. But with her kind of asking the doctor who he is and what have you, and she uses the right, if you don't tell me, I'll tell the police. And you said that was a bad thing. I'll get people killed. She kind of holds on to these bits of knowledge and uses them brilliantly i think it's a really clear and solid case for why she gets the offer oh and that little bit's brilliant that's sort of one long shot yeah. them just sort of back and forth that that sort of natural chemistry it's it is very well cast the pair of yes. them and i think eccleston is such a fantastic actor as well apparently he emailed and asked for the role really interesting he didn't want to get caught up as an overly serious actor he wanted to do something a little bit more light-hearted interesting i mean i was you know like i said i was nine so i wasn't particularly aware of him before but i do i am vaguely aware of conversations happening around me where people were surprised by the casting because i've seen sort of old articles and stuff like that where people were suggesting um Hugh Grant was one of the suggestions. So was um, was Richard E. Grant at the time. He was he was a real kind of possibility. Yeah. So, but it's sort of like those were the the people that they were talking about behind the scenes. But the people that they were sort of suggesting for the Doctor were, um, you know, they were they were comedians, and it, it was very much taking like a, a old stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here we go. Other other actors linked to the role, including Bill Nye. Richard E. Grant, Anthony Head, that would be, at the time, uh, yeah. that would have been really good. Uh, Eddie Izzard, I'd have loved to see that as well. She would have rocked that. It could still happen. I'd still be up for that. She's a little old now. She hasn't been in it yet, has she? No, she hasn't. But Hugh Grant and Alan Davis were on there as well. And again, 2005 Alan Davis is the Doctor. Yeah, I can see it. I, I can see it. I, I'm glad Eccleston came into it. And as much as I love John Hurt, I do wish that Eccleston had come back and played the War Doctor. That would have been amazing just to see that. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do like it. Yeah, I think it was a good workaround for sure. Yes, yeah. I just, 
I would have loved to see Eccleston come back. And again, John Hurt does a brilliant job. I loved John Hurt as an actor. I'm, you know, it's, I'm sad that he has passed. Mm. But I think continuity-wise, to see Eccleston make that decision and see what happens just before, just before Rose would have been would have been great. I do have a question though. Has he just regenerated in this episode? Because he talks about his ears. This is the question. Because he does talk about his ears. And um, I've seen things where Russell Davis has said, nah, it's in the same way as, you know, you might look in the mirror occasionally and sort of pick a flaw of yourself and sort of be like, gosh. It's not how it plays. It's not how it plays, no. And then, but then you always have the question is that when um, Rose goes and sees Clive, that you have, you have images with the Ninth Doctor from the past. Now, could that be in the future? It's hard to tell. And have you read the novelization of no, this episode? No, but I do know that he has pictures of other Doctors past and future does yeah so the novelization is great okay so how does that work with the i think they're all the same person revelation from clive yeah so i don't know so in the novelization you get um you you get references to to you know like the 11th doctor and also you know uh, as yet unseen doctors um, and it sort of expands upon the idea. I get that that would have been way too confusing because I, I think some of this episode, you just have to sort of remember that this was reintroducing the show to a whole new generation who hadn't seen it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I would have been really confused if Clive was showing pictures of Patrick Troughton. Like, I'd be like, who's that guy? How does this have anything to do with anything? So it is good that in the show itself, it's just Eccleston. Yeah. And I suppose the questions are, is this pre or post Rose? Although we don't really see him, you know, Rose is his companion for the rest of the time. Although I suppose he could have independent adventures. I don't know. Do you know when the Ninth Doctor Big Finish stuff is set? I don't. I haven't heard anything about... Billy Piper being involved in all of that. No, I don't think she is. So maybe it is pre. I tell you when it could be. I, and this, I spotted this in this episode. He offers for Rose to come aboard. She says no. He accepts it and disappears. He then comes back and says, "By the way, did I mention it was a time machine?" We have no idea how long he was gone in between those moments. Yeah, he could have gone off and then suddenly go, "Ah, oh, that guy was pretty cool, though." Like, let me go back and just let her know it's a time machine. Or done what we've seen with Tennant and with other Doctors of do not hang around on your own for too long. You need someone. And this is him fresh out the war. This is him brutal. So if the if the big finish stuff is war, war Doctor out there, not yet himself, not having figured it out and sort of going a bit too far, this that could fill in that gap and could... And this is pure speculation. There's no reason to think it's this. But yeah, that could fill in that gap and sort of explain why he suddenly felt like he needed someone. We don't see the reason why there needs to be a companion in this episode. We do see why Rose, but we don't see why someone. Yeah, that's true. Although Rose absolutely saves the day, so... Yeah, yeah, she she smashes it. What other notes do I have here? Um, We need to talk about Clive. Clive, I love Clive. I think Clive is perfect. Absolutely perfect combo of the everyman, the superfan, and the conspiracy nutter. Yeah. And he's absolutely there to keep the fans at bay. The fans who want this to be the show that it was. And there's different levels of sci-fi. And I think in the in the wilderness years, Doctor Who had some... And for some people, got to that very sort of intense high-level sci-fi. So a lot of the extended lore had gotten very weird. 
Yeah, but but it you know it was at the end of what was it by then? It must have been like forty years of of mm, show, yeah. and of course it gets complex and 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 far, and you've got all that Gallifrey stuff and all the you know everything that was built on there with forty years and eight actors worth of of Doctor stories. Of course, it was complex yeah. and, and knotted. And I think there were some people who were going to be very upset by the the lack of the law, the lack of there's no Time Lords, there's no Gallifrey. You have Autons, but they're never called Autons. Yep. The the episode is completely from Rose's point of view. I didn't realise that this is the first episode that is name has the companion's name in the title, which sounds mad. Whatever. Ever. It does feel a more modern way of approaching it that that it's about the companion. It's about the human character in there. That feels a bit more modern than than old Who, I suppose. Yeah. It's about it's about um, people reacting to sci-fi situations rather than just sci-fi situations, if that yeah. makes sense. But yeah, we love Clive. Clive's great. So, you know, I love the slightly cheeky, she's read the website about the Doctor and she's a shoe. That felt really now. That did not feel 2005 at all to me. That felt very 2023. And I loved it. Yeah, because, you know. I think the fact that he dies is great as well. It closes that loop. There's not... Clive can't come back and be like, oh, when's he going to actually find the Doctor? You know, there's none of that wanting the closure there. He's proven right and dies. And that shows the danger of the world Mm. and that he sort of overstepped by stepping into the Doctor's world without being invited. He was right. He says, he says, if the Doctor's making house calls, we're all in danger. And his face, when that... um, when the Auton gets the gun out, he knows. He knows that he's done for. Yeah. In front of it, it's quite graphic, really. Like, this man is murdered in front of his wife and children. Like. But it's implied. It's very sensor friendly while still being terrifying, which, again, just. I, I can only imagine that reassured people so much when it first happened. When, they, like, people were coming back and watching it, oh no, it's still scary. It's still tense. The, you know, the tension in, in several parts is just really, really solid. And mannequins are scary. Like, this episode is mostly to blame. My sister has had a lifelong fear of shop dummies because of this. Like, stone cold terrified of them. They are inherently uncanny valley, aren't they? They're sort of... Mm. They look... They're made to look like they should be alive. They're made to look appealing and alluring and almost sexual in, in some cases because, you know, that's how we sell clothes. Mm. But they're also made to be blank-faced and, yeah, they're, they're, they are a bit spooky. And Doctor Who, being Doctor Who, went, here's a normal thing you see every day, I'm going to make it spooky. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, I feel like when you're a kid, you do wonder, like, is that, is its head going to move? You know, what if, what if? And that first movement, that being the, the just the tracking of Rose with the head moving across is just just such clever direction. So creepy. But yeah. So I've got a couple of notes on like the wider universe that we're possibly referencing and I guarantee that some of these are me looking too far into it. Okay. There's always all the regeneration hints the the like oh look at my ears kind of stuff. We've talked about that. Clive says that the doctor brings the storm in his wake. And I wonder if that line ends up becoming that the Doctor is the oncoming storm. Interesting. 
that's definitely one that I'm looking too much into. We see the first reference of Rose dishing out chips, which just seems so much of a theme for her. She says, is this me now then? Am I dishing out chips? She goes and escapes and gets in the TARDIS. In School Reunion ends up dishing up chips. And then in uh, The Impossible Planet says to an ood, I used to do that. I used to dish out chips. It's like, get over it, Rose. Some people hand out chips. It's fine. <laughs> the Doctor cites the Shadow Proclamation. Oh, yeah, that comes back. And obviously there's the references to the war. And I fought in the war. I couldn't save your planet. I couldn't save any of them. Just the kind of the weight of the war on him that I don't think really comes back until Dalek. I think that's when we really find out how how much of an impact the war had and what the war was and, and all of this. But uh, yeah, the last great time war. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely seeding things. And I, 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 you know, I remember watching this and I didn't even know. I thought the time war was just part of the law. I didn't know it was a new thing. And I think it was very, very clever because it just, it sort of freed us up a little bit. It gave it a bit of gravitas. But freed you with time lords and Drassalon and presidents and, yeah, it's just Gallifrey. It weighs you down. The Graham Norton broadcast overlap. Oh, that was so confusing. Did you see it at the time? I did, I did. I watched it live. Okay. I I, I don't think I was in one of the areas where it actually did that. Because it wasn't everywhere. It was regional. Yeah, I'm fairly sure it did it in London. Either that or I've implanted this memory. They definitely, they definitely repeated it when they did the 15th anniversary. They, they held a sort of watch along and they added that back oh, in. Oh, nice. It's not the only time either, because Graham not. Norton ruined the um, the end of Time of Angels. Oh, yeah. The little animation of him when the Doctor's giving that whole speech with a gun, and then a little animated Graham Norton turns up. Graham Norton is always, always crashing. I mean, there's a little bit of me that hopes that they give him a cameo or something, find a way for him to crash it in the 60th, because he's always popping make up. Make him a villain. Make him a villain, but make him a villain who he, he, he he's incursions through time. Like, make him the anti-Clara, oh. where he's somehow scattered across the timeline and so he keeps popping up. Evil Graham Norton. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so so for people who don't know what, what this is, what was the Graham Norton bro- broadcast thing? So, um, it was when Rose is in the basement, there was a bleed over i think graham norton had a show on bbc2 at the same time and somehow the feeds got them bled over so all you could hear was graham norton it sort of was overlaid for a couple of minutes luckily it stopped before you get to the big introduction to the doctor but yeah for a moment it, it was very confusing yeah according to the commentary it stopped at the time that the doctor's hand grabbed rose is apparently what happened so it sort of stopped then and also they managed to like they were watching it at home uh rtd and the other other producers and they called up and they managed to get to the person with the finger on the button to sort of say there's something's happening you need to sort this out come on and so they were on the phone getting it sorted and that's why it was stopped then but yeah i mean what a screw up but hey it's it's become a thing right and it obviously didn't impact it too badly i mean they they greenlit the christmas special and season two just on the back of this one episode alone wow almost straight away i remember this it became just like a a huge thing and that i remember with because we're not going to talk about dalek weirdly dalek's not on our list but it i remember when dalek floated upstairs and that was 
that was a news item. But the Daleks had had learned to fly and were now. But they flew before. Yeah, this is what literally everybody was saying. Sorry. But it was it was the news. It was two thousand and five, and it was fine. Hey, press is press. Yeah, and they were they were kind of going, oh, that old joke about them being stuck by stairs is not a problem anymore because look at this clip. It's like you're the BBC News. BBC makes it. You should know better. But yeah, it was it was just huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like, I, like I said, I was a kid, so I, I, lot, I, it felt like everyone was watching it. I mean, not in a way that felt incredibly special, I suppose, because it felt like everyone watched the same things on the weekend. There wasn't many options. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was almost immediately playing Doctor Who in the playground. <laughs> so to put into context how how different we are in age, I was two thousand five. I was in my last year of sixth form so I was doing my A-levels at the time and I remember it being a thing that that everybody watched sort of in our friendship group and that was rare to to have something that everybody watched and you would talk about did you see that wasn't really a thing at that point just because of the number of, of channels and and you know what was going on in lives you had better things to do on a Saturday night uh well no I I, I went to to uni not long after to study physics so i had almost nothing to do <laughs> but yeah it was it was just a thing that everybody would watch and you would talk about in the common room so a big a big thing very big thing at the time but actually one of my notes is that how one of the things that i liked about this episode when i was watching it is how sexual it is in a way in that sex exists in this world and how that doctor who of old was known for being very very chaste and the doctor wasn't even allowed to touch the companions but within this episode you get Jackie propositioning the doctor. You get Mickey telling Rose to get a kit off when he gets she gets in the flat. You get the the doctor looks at the um the magazine and goes that won't work. He's going to use an alien. That's the first time homosexuality is referenced in Doctor Who explicitly. What, including all of the yeah. all of the old yeah. wow. You know it kind of it it, it it that adds to the realism. I think is that yeah. And it's very, it's very um, typical of Russell T. Davis, who definitely it likes to include sort of sexuality in his shows because it is, you know, it's a part of life. But yeah, I thought I found that really added to the Jackie would quite like for him to just come in and take a dressing gown off. So, anything else on Rose? Rose, hmm. I've got very weird notes. I've sort of got like random sonic effects. Oh yeah, the sonic effect is worth noticing. It never happens again. It never happens again, but apparently when they first... So I listened to the commentary and RTD talks about how when they first got that, it was concentric circles and he sent it back to be redone because he wants the sonic screwdriver to be a toy that anybody can pick up anything and just it can be. It can be like, I've got a sonic screwdriver and kids can play the doctor. And so he doesn't want these weird, overly sci-fi effects. Mm. So he sent it back and accepted a square beam thing. I'm glad they changed that. It uh, it felt weird. It felt weird. Yeah, it's too much. It makes it... it it's a little bit too sci-fi. Yeah, and that's exactly what he says, is that it's too sci-fi. It sounds stupid talking about Doctor, but it's too sci-fi. I'm not too much of a purist, and I, I do think ultimately this show is a TV show, so it should be good TV. And I, I so long as you're not completely going against some core rules, I can kind of have fun with it. 
and it doesn't have to always make sense and just go with it because it is it's just a tv show yeah and i think they've been very careful in establishing very few core rules yeah you know they've just kind of gone nah we're not establishing it because it's about time travel you can't have a plot hole in a time travel show where they just nip all over the place and do whatever they want yeah you just they can you can find a way to explain it away but what's the point yeah just go with the flow a little bit that being said i'm sure in future episodes we will question oh yeah we will moan about the plot didn't they say (laughs) yeah but we are not we are the the overly attentive nerds that this show is not for yeah. we have we've taken it close to our hearts and um, you and i said this um with the power of the doctor don't make the show for me it's and you. at its worst when it is for the fans yeah we're gonna watch it anyway we've proven that by watching the fucking power of the doctor <laughs> make it for everybody make it good enough for everyone to watch and we will enjoy it more don't worry we'll find little things in there to enjoy but don't make it for us yeah maybe you can slightly by, uh, sidestep that with things like the anniversary specials and stuff because you know what they can be a little love letter to the people who've been there all the way through kind of get that but just general stuff and particularly like christmas and, and new year specials make them for everyone make them good yeah you want to you want them to you, you want it to be good tv just good tv accessible to all which rose was and that's why i put it on my list because it's just the perfect the perfect first episode Absolutely, and I think it's a great place for us to start as well. This is this is where the revival came back. This is where New Who was born, and I'm so glad you did put it on your episode. I was I was really enjoyed watching it with a critical eye and not just to enjoy. So oh, thank you. I'm glad you did. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. Next week we'll be talking about my next pick, The Empty Child. So please join us for that. Thank you for listening to Hooniversal Appeal. Why not let us know what you think by leaving a review on your podcast service of choice? It would really help us out and we'd love to hear from you. So until next time, enjoy all your adventures in time and space. See you next week. Bye. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. We love Clive.